Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. What's up? How you doing? <laughs> I'm just smiling. Hi, Panda Girl. I'm wearing a panda onesie. Y'all can't see, but Chloe's wearing a panda onesie, <coughs> panda onesie, and um, you know I'm I'm just like wearing my nightshirt. It's <laughs> it's pretty relaxed here. Yeah, Mario's you know? nightshirt is like blue and white striped pajamas, and he has like one of those sleeper caps. You know, it's like a beanie, like but it has right. like a ball at the end. Right. Yeah. Because I'm. Like a guy from the 1890s or something. Scrooge. Ebenezer. That's what, that's what I was about to say. I do love... What kind mo- of name is Ebenezer? Whose idea was that? I believe it's a biblical name. Oh. Um, and I was going to say that I love the Muppet Christmas Carol. <laughs> that's what that immediately reminds me of. We know. There goes Mr. Humbug. There goes Mr. Grit. Whatever it is. I love it. <laughs> it's got so many good songs. The love um, we shared. Um, the love we shared. Uh, what is this? What are we doing? Um. Oh, we're doing a podcast. What's it called? At mystery murdery thingy. <coughs> Not murdery mystery thingy. Mystery murdery thingy. I feel like at first we said like. They were like essentially interchangeable. Mystery deathy <laughs> things or something. Oh, like at the very very <coughs> beginning. Yeah. Yeah. Chloe's kind of sick, so she's going to be coughing throughout, just Sorry. so you know. Sorry. Don't apologize for being sick. Well, just getting over being sick, I guess. Yeah. Um, this is the podcast. This, pod. is a po- this is a podcast. Mario calls it the pod. The pod. This is the pod where we talk about... What do we oh, talk about? Oh, mysteries. <laughs> and murderies. And thingies. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> Good, job. Good job. Good um, job. Yeah. We're no, doing I'm it. I'm seriously excited. I'm excited. Yeah. Uh, okay. Episode thirty-eight. Woo! <laughs> um, so yeah, good number. Good uh, yeah, number. yeah, definitely. So like, I'm getting back to some more murdery things. You know, what's a good amount of thirty-eight of something? <laughs> what? I don't. I don't even know what. What does that mean? Like, what is there that comes in units? Like, in yeah. Would you rather have 38? thirty-eight books or thirty-eight cars? But I'd rather have thirty-eight books because. 38 cars would get kind of unwieldy. I'm not fucking Jay Leno, you know? I don't, <laughs> I don't need, like, a fleet of cars. <laughs> Isn't there, like, a TV show of Jay Leno just, like, walking around Jay Leno's fucking... Maybe there's an episode of Cribs. Top, Top Gear? Cribs? Top Gear. Lifestyles of the Rich <laughs> and Famous. That one. Yeah, that's We're watching... Um... Investigator, a British crime story. Right. Really, really good. Highly recommend. Yep. And they're mysteries. Yeah. I think. What? 
Yeah, they're mysteries. At least the first one was. Okay, we're moving on. Yeah. What do you are you gonna go first or second? Um I'll just I'll go first. Okay. I already have a monkey book, so <laughs> I'll just go first. So I'm doing like a pretty classic, like serial killer. I'm doing the Axeman of New Orleans. Um really, you know, gruesome, very murdery. Oh. The more axe murder. Um so uh yeah. It's why uh, why, why do why? people do this? Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> we could talk about that for a while. Um, this was a little bit before, you know, because um, this happened in 1918, so they weren't exactly thinking about that yet. A little bit, but, you know, they didn't have, like, the whole, you know, profiling and stuff like that. But anyway, um, so on uh, May 22nd, 1918, someone went up to the, you know, back door of a house in New Orleans and chiseled out one of the panels on the back door. Ooh. Slipped in through Ooh, this little opening that they like created. That's some, like, spy shit. Like, exactly. CIA action movie crap. And, right. And this is, like, part of the MO of the Axeman of New Orleans murders. Like, he always does this pretty much. What if you do if you were sitting and then, like, a knife, like, just came through that wall and it started, like, sawing? be pretty fucked up <laughs> probably start fucking freaking out that's what the bat's for <laughs> right exactly exactly that's you're, you're like Jalen rose you got the bat you got it ready you know should i add nails to it nah it's a metal bat <laughs> what are you in in like the fucking uh what was that wire. mad max are you are you in mad max now no, it's walk the walking dead and the person who wields it is the same actor that plays sam and dean's dad in supernatural oh right boom right, boom right. boom Exactly, yeah. It's, I think it's a wooden bat wrap with barbed wire. Good for him. Which is pretty gruesome. Yeah, good for him. Um, yeah. Uh, th- th- this does not, my story does not involve any bats with barbed wire wrapped around them. Sorry. Do you think weapons could be mysterious? Mm, there could be like a mysterious <laughs> weapon, sure. I suppose so. Um, mm-hmm. So anyway, um, May 22nd, 1918, this guy, you know, slips in through this hole in the back door and comes up to Joseph and Catherine Maggio, who live there, while they're sleeping. Slits their throats with a straight razor. Ooh, ooh. And then bashes their head in with an axe. Why they, after death? That's the question, right? I was going to say, maybe to try to hide evidence. That's what okay. was one theory that I read. Or maybe just because he's a fucking maniac. And, yeah. you know, like... The, I, with with axe murders, it almost seems like overkill is the norm, right? Yes. I mean, that's sort of the whole point of doing of an axe having murder. an axe in the first place. Yeah, you I mean, want it it it's not the most subtle to way to kill someone. Some, exactly. Yeah. Right. You know. Yeah. I mean, it, again, you know, if, I'm not trying to make light of any of this, right? These are victims, but if if you're just like thinking about this in from that criminological, you know, standpoint, like why did this person do this? What is this about from their perspective? Like what is going on here? Um clearly this person like enjoyed doing this, right? Like they got some sort of satisfaction out of doing it. I think that's almost a necessary part of axe murder that it's it's like you're it's it's very personal. You you're very connected to the act, you know, when you're doing it. Um, as opposed to, like, poisoning someone or shooting someone. Yeah. So I would imagine this person is someone who, like, had some kind of, you know, w- was very, like, you know, obsessed with, with death or, like, I don't know, just really into, like, the, the act of killing itself. Um, so anyway. Process killer. No. Yeah, I guess, Correct. like, like a process killer. Yeah. Um, so anyway, the, um, yeah, when the, um, victims were found, Joseph was still clinging to life and they they were found by his two brothers, but he died soon after, uh, Catherine was killed immediately. She was almost decapitated actually. Like her head was basically almost completely separated from the shoulders, um, and in her head had also been hit, you know, by the axe, uh, bashed in by the axe. And the killer had also left his bloody clothes behind and presumably, like, changed into clean ones before he left. 
So there was obviously, you know, some like forethought going into this too. Premeditation, yeah. Definitely premeditation. Um, these are all very, very, you know, calculated murders, you know, and, and just going in there for the purpose of murder. One thing that, again, is an ammo of the Axemen in New Orleans is that it, there, there's never any robbery. They were not there to steal anything, even incidentally. So this was like purely about oh. the killing. You know, again, clearly this person was like obsessed with like this thing of, of going in and killing people. And the this is another part of the ammo, the bloody razor that was used to kill Joseph <coughs> and um Catherine. Kath Catherine, is it yeah, uh Joseph and Catherine was found in the yard of a neighbor's lawn. So he had just like left the murder weapon there. And what they found, what the police actually found was that the razor came from the barbershop of Joseph's brother, Andrew, right? So at first police are like, oh, okay, now we know, okay, it's Andrew. So they arrest him also because, you know, Just off of that? Well, off of that and, and also that he was the first one to find them. And he lived in the, like, apartment okay. next door. And they were kind of like, well, why didn't you hear something going on? You know, why didn't you go and try to stop it? What Andrew said was that he was really drunk because he had been at a party the night before because he was about to go into the Navy. So he came home and just, like, passed out, basically. But later on, he heard these, like, weird groaning noises from his brother's apartment next door. And then he went to investigate and that's when they discovered, you know, Catherine dead and him, you know, Joseph just like clinging uh, to, to life but dying soon afterwards. What um, kind of changed the police's mind was that one, his under questioning, like Andrew held up. Like he didn't okay. contradict himself. He didn't break. You know, he, he just he had a good, you know, questioning from the police. And then um, he also claimed that there was like this guy who was like skulking around the building um you know and presumably that was the guy that did it i guess so he had kind of a good alibi i suppose in the the eyes of the police so they released andrew he was not like a suspect anymore but you know this one um murder and attempted murder started this kind of like series of killings over the next you know year year and a half and in all there were four people who were killed and many, many more who were, you know, severely wounded. And throughout, it's going to target, you know, the, the Axemen targeted mostly Italian grocers. What? Which, again, there's the natural question, right? Like, why? Why is it so, like, concentrated in this one, like, group of victims? Now, of course, we know that typically people attack or, or serial kill within their own ethnic group right Right, like that's completely the norm so i think it points you know we're going to talk about suspects later but it it kind of points to it being someone who was you know italian um maybe who worked in the industry who knew these people perhaps but um the next attack happened in june of 1918 june 27th 1918 uh louis bessemer and harriet lowe who was like his mistress Yeah. Um, Secrets out now. Right. Um, I think they were, like, living openly together, but it wasn't, like, acknowledged that they weren't, like, married, um, which, like, came out later. Uh, So, anyway, they were, again, sleeping when they were attacked by the Axeman. And um, they were actually living in the room behind the grocery that they ran. Again, that's, like, you know, a theme here. Italian grocers. Um, and this time, actually, a hatchet was used, as is typical for the axemen of New Orleans. The weapon came from the victim. So What's it was the difference the between house. an axe and a hatchet? I don't remember. Is it one? A hatchet is smaller. Is you know? one like double sided? Um, well, the uh, axe typically has a blunt end on the back side, like the non blade side, whereas the hatchet, yeah, it'll have like you know uh, a little you know spike or something on the other side, you know, to, like, grab the wood or whatever. Um, but, you know, as is typical that they got this item, like, the, the weapon from the home of the... Which, a lot, actually, a lot of serial killers do. Servant Girl Annihilator did that. Right, the Servant Girl Annihilator did that as well. Um, you know, whatever, 30 years, 40 years before this. 
So Lewis was hit above the right temple, fracturing his skull, and mm. the axe was actually left, partly oh. sticking out of his skull. Harriet had been hit above the left ear, and they both actually survived. Wow. An amazing number of these victims actually survive these, like, axe attacks to the head, which is fucking crazy. Especially in the time period. Right. And they were found by a delivery man who was coming, you know, to make his, like, morning delivery to their grocery store named John Zanka at 7 a.m. that next morning. And I think that was partly why they were, you know, they survived was because they were found not too long after the attack occurred. Right, right. So, yeah. So after this happened, the police arrest this black man named Louis Ubicon, even though there was, like, no evidence actually tying him to the crime. Why they did this, I guess, was because he had recently worked at the grocery store, maybe been fired, but he was, like, eventually released. Um, didn't, never, nothing ever really came from that. So, Harriet actually ended up dying August the 5th, so a few days afterwards, or weeks afterwards or something. Her face had been, like, severely damaged, mm. and they were doing a surgery to try to repair it, and she died as a consequence of like a botched surgery basically you know so it was kind of linked to the crime but not not directly um you know on that day or anything but on that same day actually august 5th 1918 is when the next attack occurred oh my god and this one's really bad so just like brace yourself um anna schneider who at the time was 28 and eight months pregnant was attacked and her face was bashed in, the police think, probably by a lamp that was, you know, there in the room. Huh. And her, different. Yeah. But again, it's it's sort of the same in the sense that it's a weapon that was close at hand in the home, you know, so it wouldn't be traced back to him, right? And her skull was there, or her scalp, rather, was actually cut open as well. And she was discovered by her husband after he came home at midnight. You know, he had been staying, like, late at work. And she says that she has no memory of the attack. She survived? She survived. The baby survived, was <gasps> totally healthy, was born two days after the attack. Well. And was born completely healthy. Stress. Yeah. Yeah, that probably that probably helped to induce. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, again, there was no theft from the home. So, um, James Gleason... This man who just basically, like, was really nervous about the police, I guess he'd been arrested before, just, like, ran from the police, and they thought he might be connected, so they arrested him, but there was no evidence that linked him to the crime. Mm. So that, again, was another dead end. Um, As we'll see, like, it's like a series of these dead ends for the investigation, Um, and it, you know, never really came to anything, but at this point, the police are starting to see a pattern, right? They're linking these crimes together. Typically in these types of situations, the police don't want to link crimes too quickly because they don't want to like induce panic in the populace, right? Right, right. You know, there's some serial killer that the media inevitably comes up with a name for him or her. And then, you know, people just, like, start to panic. Right. But at this point, it was becoming pretty undeniable, right? Something was going on here. And five days later, on August 10th, 1918, the next attack occurred. Pauline and Mary Bruno discovered their Uncle Joseph Romano with his head bleeding profusely from two open cuts in their home after hearing, you know, some commotion. They, you know, heard something going on in the home and went to investigate. And the girls also saw the assailant running out, actually, and described him as, quote, a dark-skinned, heavy-set man who wore a dark suit and slouched hat. So, yeah, that's about as good of a description of the Axeman of New Orleans as we're going to get, basically. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. Um, very, very elusive, very mysterious. Um, Joseph ended up dying two days later of his injuries, you know, just from the, the massive yeah, blood yeah, loss, yeah. basically. And, it, you know, again, before, like, modern transfusion and everything, right? Um, the house was actually, like, trashed. It was, like, all messed up. But nothing was missing. So that was also strange. Like, why... 
you know, I don't know, maybe it's like some kind of escalation. Is it like rage? Is it drugs? Is this one more personal? Yeah, I don't know. Um, But again, the bloody axe was found in the backyard. And the signature panel was chiseled out of the back door. Right, right. You know, so it's a very clear MO. MO. Yeah. Very, very clear MO, you know, with these, these actions. And this did, you know, as we were, like, hinting at before, spark paranoia throughout the city at this point. It was like, what the fuck is going on? What city is this again? New Orleans. Nolans. Oh, New Orleans. It's in New Orleans. Okay. I, I was in New Orleans once. I was, like, a little baby. I do not remember Aww. it. Yeah. But I, I have also been to Lake Charles, which I'll mention later. You okay. Know, I had this family reunion there. It was great. Okay. Am I getting off on a tangent? I think I've seen pictures. We had a crawfish boil, because I'm, like, half Cajun, and um, we had, like, a Zydeco band. It was really cool. I liked it. <laughs> that was a long time ago. It was, like, 2002. Um, anyway. So, anyway, um, there was, like, a little kind of hiatus after this, right? But the next attack occurred on March 10th, 1919, so the next year. And this time, Charles Cormelia and his wife, Rosie, and unfortunately their young daughter, who was only two at the mm. time, Mary, were all attacked. The daughter, Mary, was killed instantly by a blow to the back of her head, probably by the blunt side of the axe. Charles, when they were found, was laid out bleeding on the floor, and Rosie had a serious head wound and was actually carrying the dead child oh, Mary no. in her arms. No, no, no. Yeah. Um yeah, pretty fucking tragic. And Charles and Rosie did receive immediate medical attention and with this one they were actually found like almost right after the murders occur or the uh, attempted murders and the murder occurred. Um which helped, you know, them recover obviously because Charles was released like just 2 days later. And as with, um, and, and Rosie ended up regaining consciousness and actually said a bunch of like really weird stuff. Like she blamed their neighbor, Yolando and his son, Frank for the attack, but it just like didn't make sense because like the dad was too old to do it and right, the, the right, son was right. like really big. So there's no way he could have fit through like the panel that had been chiseled out. Like we were talking about before, it's like small, you know, um, you know, just a little small opening. And um, her testimony was actually also contradicted by her husband, Charles, who was like, no, that's not what happened. But despite all that, the two men were arrested, tried, and convicted. And Frank was actually sentenced to death. What? By hanging. But a year later, Rosie actually admitted that she just made it all up it was just all out of spite, I guess. Whatever the fuck that means. And they were released. So they, they you know, <laughs> they spent a year in jail. Like Frank thought he was going to be fucking hanged for something he didn't do. That's fucked up. Just because this woman was like, oh yeah, I'll just make the, yeah, I don't know. She said a bunch of weird shit after it. I, I don't know why. Apparently she was kind of crazy. Um, And then on August 10th, 1919, the Axeman strikes again. And again, he came upon his victim, Steve Boca, while he was sleeping. Again, part of the ammo. Steve had a large head wound, um, you know, from the axe, but got medical care and survived. Okay. Okay. And then on September 3rd, 1919, the next attack occurred. Uh, Sarah Lauman was found by her neighbors with a severe head wound and, like, several of her teeth knocked out. Oh, jeez. And kind of unique amongst these attacks, the assailant actually went in through an open window. But again, the bloody axe was discovered on the front lawn. And uh, Sarah also survived, but did not have any recollection of the attack. And then we come to what is probably the last attack that happened... Uh, connected to the Axeman of New Orleans. And that was on October 27th, 1919. Mm. Almost Halloween. Yes. And in that one, Mike Pepitone was struck in the head with an axe. And um, 
was discovered by his wife so right afterwards. these are, afterwards. like, still going. What do you mean? Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's like, I mean, as of, like... October 27th, yeah, 19th. And maybe yeah. afterwards as well, as we'll get to. Um, but this is, like, probably the last one. And uh, Mike Pepitone's wife also saw the attacker fleeing the scene, but couldn't really, like, describe him. Um, and... There are some other ones that run, like, through 1921 that may also be the Axemen of New Orleans. There are also ones before this from, like, 1911 that might also be him. So it's it's kind of unclear. That's that, scary. Yeah, the, there's, like, kind of the all of these axe murders. Or, or, and it's you know, in New Orleans? Ones. In New Orleans, in this town right next to one in New Orleans called, like, Getna. Um, and then there, the other ones that were later on were in other cities, like Lake Charles. And there was, like, some other ones. Um, so now we come to the suspects. So there's this kind of, like, legend that it was a man named Joseph Monfrey who was killed in December 1921 in Los Angeles by the widow of Mike Pepitone. But apparently this also might just all be made up and like just a story. So Why do people do that? I'm not sure. Um, but what people also think is that this could have been linked to the mafia, right? Okay. Or it could have been linked to some kind of like racial hatred against italians Mm, the grocers yeah right um as like the vast majority of the victims like we've talked about were either italian immigrants or the very recent descendants of italian immigrants okay and this you know was a period in time when slavery had ended right it's it's like that next generation right right after the civil war right right And, and uh southern italians a lot of them emigrated to the United States to fill that role. So they worked on the cotton plants and or plantations and all that stuff. And um, apparently what they also did was, like, lived very, very frugally. This was, like, a theme, you know, uh, throughout this community. Lived very, very frugally, saved up their money, and then used that money to buy businesses. And what okay. some people think is that this may have been a consequence of, like, some kind of jealousy or, you know, like, don't... Someone who didn't want the Italians to, like, succeed or put down roots in their community. So they're attacking them. You try to terrorize them, perhaps. But it's not, like, totally clear. And there's this also... This question at this time, like, are Italian people, specifically Southern Italian people, like, are they white or not white? Which is, again, you know, just, like, a ridiculous concept, but... Yeah, it was very important at the time. Colorism, right? Type thing. Yeah, it's not like a real thing, but at this point in time and like in this place, it was like extremely important. Were you white or not white? So you know, it very well may have been linked to like prejudice or you know, like hate crimes, that kind of thing. And there's also a scholar named Richard Warner who believes that it might have been this man named Frank Doc Mumphrey who would use the alias Leon Joseph Monfrey. And so I guess he looked into it. He thinks that's probably who it was. Why? There wasn't really that much info. Because he's a scholar. Yeah, he he looked into it. His name's Richard Warner, so ask him, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, my sources didn't have too too much more than that on it. Um, But, you know, again, we we don't know. No one will probably ever know who the Axeman is of new orleans was but uh certainly very uh very psychotic person a a very deranged it seems you know person who would do all of these axe murders um there was also this um letter you know um as we'll you know see later on in history right there's like these like with the zodiac killer and stuff and son of sam and, and and actually a lot of these serial killers, it gets, like, really sensationalized in the press, and then there's, like, these letters, right. right? And it's never clear whether they're real or not. Most of them are probably not. This one certainly is probably fake. But it's it's kind of, like, fun, because it, it doesn't involve any death either. So this Axeman letter, it it's it's, like, from hell. It's, like, the Axeman is, like, this, like, hellish, like, demon who's, like, writing to the mortals of Earth. 
and uh... tells them, I will take, you know, another life at this certain time on this certain date unless you're you... all playing jazz because I love jazz. Oh, yeah. So there was this particular night where, you know, he like was like, you know, I've said heard you of that. It, it's shown maybe, up in popular culture. Maybe it was times. a Criminal Minds episode. It could be. Yeah, the the Axemen of New Orleans is very much um, been a, a kind of recurrent um, story in popular culture, especially over the last like few decades. I think it, it's like gotten more popular for some reason. So on that night, you know, everyone was playing jazz. No one got killed, so that's good. So yeah, that's my uh, that's my take on the Axeman of New Orleans, Nolans of Nolans. And my sources were, of course, Wikipedia. Woot woot. Yes. Uh, also, Seth Ferranti at Vice, Miriam Davis at Smithsonian Magazine, and Amanda Sedlak-Hevener at Ranker. Yes, yes, yes. Good job, Silva. Uh, thank you. Thank you very much. It's my turn. Yay, Chloe's turn. I like taking turns. You're weird. Yeah, I know, right? Okay. So. (laughs) Oh my gosh. What? I just think it's funny that it says, I wasn't even looking, never mind. (laughs) I wrote like a script this time. Yep. So, oh fuck, I already fucked it up. (laughs) I'm talking about the disappearance of Amy Lynn Bradley. So, uh, it starts Let's talk about March of 1998. Um, There was a Royal Caribbean cruise liner called Rhapsody of the Seas, and it set sail straight out of Florida. So, um, after leaving Curaçao, the ship goes to St. Martin, and from St. Martin to St. Thomas, and St. Thomas is east of San Juan, which is just outside the Dominican Republic. Amy Lynn Bradley is 23 she's from Richmond, virginia and she got on one of these cruises um at this time she had recently graduated college she was just about to start her first job um and so they all went on vacation uh her mom her father um iva and ron bradley along with her son brad bradley for real brad bradley yes okay yes that's Accept it. It's not great. It's not, okay. Okay, so basically what happens, she she went missing on March 24th, 1998. Um, so a day after they, like, set sail. Um, at approximately 6 a.m. that morning. And the last time she was seen was an hour before that at 5, uh, sleeping on the balcony of the cabin that um, she shared with her family. So... According to the New York Times article, Brad and Amy had been dancing at the disco. According to the door... Okay, so they all have, like, key cards, and the key cards records, like, the time when it's swiped and stuff. Right. So according to um, um, that thingy, it said that Brad had returned at 3.35, and Amy had returned five minutes later. Uh, Brad said that he and his sister sat and chatted on the balcony a little bit before he went to bed. And then that was the last time he saw her. Um, the dad, Ron, Ronald, Ron Bradley, um, woke up the next day at 6 a.m. to find that she wasn't in the room and she wasn't on the suite's balcony either. Her cigarettes and her lighter were missing and the sliding glass door that led to the balcony was open. He went to go look for her and then after about an hour of searching he ran to, ran into the ship's security chief named Lou Costello after telling him Ron went back to wake his wife and then while all of this was happening the ship was docked 15 to 20 miles outside outside of Willemstad Curacao so as news spread and more officials were alerted eventually the coast guard was sent out to search and the family wait had just kind of had to wait for any news of her whereabouts. So there are some weird things about the search. There was not much action taken until about 8 a.m. 
and there was no announcement of her disappearance, which is weird, right? Yeah. Um, Amy's mother talked to the ship's captain, Kjetil Cherstad, and asked if they could distribute pictures of Amy to the other passengers and maybe have them posted in common areas so like people could keep an eye out for her and see it. But the captain said no. Um, they didn't want to, quote, alarm the passengers or disturb anyone, which, I don't know, that seems like total bullshit. Yeah. But I guess when you're very money-minded, you know? Anyway. Right. There are some discrepancies in the reports and such. There was an internal report that said that her parents didn't alert anyone until 7.35 a.m., and at that time, the ship was docked and people were leaving to have fun on the shore. Some some say the ship was searched room by room thoroughly and immediately. Also, other reports say that there were passengers who told Mrs. Bradley that their rooms weren't searched at all. So there's a lot of, like, conflict mm-hmm. for some reason. That evening, the Bradleys left the ship to search for their daughter in the city, Curaçao. Um They say that there was a problem with the company lawyer and there was a lot of frustration with the officers. Um, So it wasn't until two days after she was reported missing that an FBI team was sent out to search the ship and conduct an official investigation. Um, There were also officials searching the shore. They were searching the surrounding areas. Nobody ever found it all. Um, By then, the family was sure that she had been abducted by a crew member, right? Or someone else who had been on the ship. Um... The family begged the crew to not dock to the next location until they found her daughter, but the request was denied. That's crazy. So I watched a Shane Dawson video. Um, He put some sources on the bottom of the video, and it led me to a YouTube channel with the username We Miss Amy. It has like a mini five-part series telling the story. Um, So Shane says that... Amy told her parents that crew members were always acting strange toward her. They were they were smiling at her in weird ways, and they were asking if she'd like to come ashore with them. Like, just, hey, like, come hang out with us. Um, another witness said that she had been hanging out with the bass player and uh, that they went ashore, but only the bass player came, came back. Brad, her brother, reported that he talked to the bass player, and, he, and the bass player said to him, oh... Uh, man, I'm so sorry to hear about your sister. I hope they find her. But this was the night before, and at that time, nobody knew that she was missing. Right, I remember that from that documentary we watched about it. Yeah. Yeah. But now that I think about that, her brother said he was with her on the balcony the morning that they got back. What does that mean? That means that, I don't know, I guess he thought that she had been abducted already. That was, like, the plan, but it hadn't happened yet. Right, right. Presumably, I mean, that would be, like, the theory of the case. Weeks later, um, her family hired private detectives to board the ship undercover. Um, Still no evidence of her body. So, the weirdest part is that since she's gone missing, Caribbean islanders have reported sightings of her on the island they also described specific tattoos that she had that no one would really like necessarily know about um because of this one of the theories of her disappearance is that she was sold into select slavery which i think is um highly likely uh there was some serious cover-up going on in that ship for real some human trafficking like type shit um the thought is that the crew members were like checking people out, like, being weird, identifying girls that they could take and sell. Right. Um, Another theory is that she was killed and then thrown overboard, or if she was simply thrown overboard. It was possible that she could have made her way to one of the hundreds of islands, I guess, surrounding the area, because she was a trained lifeguard and an excellent swimmer. The thing is that it isn't, this isn't rare, women going missing on cruise ships hundreds of women go missing on cruise ships every year so i also read a brief brief summaries of the disappearance of marion carver who went missing um in 2004 on the third day of her cruise as well as natalie holloway an 18 year old who went missing on her cruise back in 2005 um like 
So these situations are also pretty tricky because you're here in international waters. So there isn't one law to follow or one procedure. There's a lot, there's lots of, you know, tricky lawyer stuff going on, I guess. Um, and it's really unclear who was responsible for the investigation. And they, none of them are really looked into that deeply. That's mm-hmm. probably why right. they happen so often. Right. Cause the people who, the perpetrators know that they can get away with it most probably. Right. So then that brings up the topic of human trafficking, which, like, I don't know. You know how, like, people say, like, what's the most horrible thing a person can do? I think human trafficking is, like, on the scale. Oh, yeah. Like, out of, like, all the, like, all crimes are awful, obviously. But the one that's, like, the most disgusting to me is human trafficking. And there's, it. There's so much of it going on in the world right now. It's crazy. I mean, there are literal, you know, like, old-time, like, slave trading going on in Libya. Like, if you are an immigrant or, you know, refugee, like, moving through Libya trying to get to Europe, you very well may get sold into slavery. Oh, my God! Yeah, I was hearing a specific, like, NPR story about it. Just the other day, this guy, he escaped because, like... You know, he got bought, and then his, like, master or whatever owner, like, brought him to town, and he was talking with this other guy, and the other guy was like, hey, like, I'll drive you away, like, right now. Like, if you want to get out of here, like, I'll take you, like, let's go. And, you know, because he knew that he was, like, you know, a slave, and uh, he was like, okay, yeah, let's go, and he just, like, drove him away. He ended up getting to Europe. And then once he got to Italy, he talked to his parents for the first time in a year. Oh my god. His parents didn't know if he was alive, if he was dead. And he yeah. But of course he had to leave his parents behind. Uh I think he was from like Mali. And yeah. um you know, it was just like yeah. They were like obviously happy to and his dad, it was like really sad because he on that phone call his dad was like, Yeah, I know, like I'm glad you got there. Like it's really sad. I wish we could see you, but like We'll, I'll see you again someday. But his his dad died, like, before they could see each other again. Aww. Yeah. It's, like... Yeah, very tragic. But, like you're saying, that it's, like, a worldwide problem in so many different, like, aspects of life. <laughs> I mean, you don't necessarily think about that being tied to cruise ships, but... Yeah, yeah that's why I found this story more, so interesting. Yeah, it's more common than I would have thought it would be. Um... So I used Wikipedia. I used a New York Times article by Douglas France. Um, There's currently a 220,000 reward for her safe return. Um, It's quite possible she's still alive and just trapped. There was also a picture of her that, like, surfaced. And they think it's her. Of um, a woman, like laying on a bed um um and it's like a very like provocative picture and mm. it looked like some like she was modeling for someone yeah and they're like pretty sure it's her oh yeah i've seen that before yeah i'll yeah. post these on the gram it definitely looks it definitely looks like her yeah it really does yeah. which is scary mm-hmm. um but yeah that's yeah very mysterious very very mysterious well thanks so much for listening you guys this is uh (laughs) do you have weird shit in the news um yeah i can talk about that one i can the one that was i was mentioning earlier um okay so i i think i read like half wait we gotta do the thing (laughs) oh yeah uh we're gonna do some weird Weird shit in the news weird shit in the news what what weird weird (laughs) routine right um this is our one segment yay uh so it's a story from cnn has china's most famous actress been disappeared by the communist party so obviously things are very strange in china right now i guess from our perspective they they always has been have been um but especially in terms of like government control right so this actress, um, let's see what her name is. 
She's like one of the most famous actresses in China. Uh, her name is Fan Bing Fan Bing Bing, and she she was actually in like the an X Men movie too. Mm. Yeah, there's like pictures of her with like Will Smith and like Hugh Jackman, and she's like a, a huge awesome. like legit A list star. But she is like just disappeared. Like the oh last time that she was seen was on September sixth, when she was doing like some event, and um, oh no, sorry, since early June. Um, and that was the last time she was seen in early June and the, um, I guess authorities have like arrested her or something for being like subversive. Um, she like what speaks out against, you know, like Chinese abuses and she just doesn't like do the thing you're supposed to do where you just support the government, you know, like mm. wholeheartedly and like, you know, you, you're supposed to be like in line, you know, the communist party, it's all about like. It's not about the individual, right? It's about the collective. If you're not part of that collective, then you're against it, and therefore you're an enemy of the state, and therefore, you know, you deserve to be, like, re-educated or whatever. You know, I mean, we talked about, like, the re-education camps in, um, you know, the in Xinjiang, whatever, with the Rohingya, right? I mean, it's, it's like, going on all over the country. Um, but also in September, uh, there was, like, this report which um, was, like, really heavily promoted by the Chinese state, which ranked the country's stars by their level of social responsibility, right? Uh Basically, what we're talking about, like, the how much they, like, suck up to the government, right? And Fan was ranked dead last at a score of zero out of 100. Whoa. Yeah, so (laughs) apparently she is not... uh, not um yeah socially responsible according to the um the chinese state but you know again that means you know basically like calling the matter in their bullshit which is you know dangerous but necessary i guess um and dangerous even if you're a huge a-list star so pretty weird and uh yeah we'll kind of see see where that one goes i guess uh did you have anything um yes okay it's kind of ironic so, the Inside Edition news crew van was broken into while they were reporting burglaries. <laughs> what? Yeah. That's crazy. It says, Inside Edition news van broken into during report on San Francisco burglaries. So, um, oh my gosh. Uh, there's so many ads. What is all of this? What has happened to internet today? Can we fucking talk about all this bullshit? <laughs> ads everywhere. Ads in the middle of my five minute vlog or some shit. Oh my god, it drives me crazy. Anyway, <sighs> um, it's true. Internet yeah. internet ads are a bit out of control. So it's a bait car, and the clip shows a couple breaking into into the car, stealing a purse and a speaker that each contain GPS tracking devices. And then they aired the episode on Wednesday. So interesting. They put on up up a bait car. I thought it was random, and it was like their like news van, like with the like cameras and shit. Right, right. This it has a misleading headline. What a misheat a misleading headline a clickbait article. The internet would never do that to never. me. Never. Damn you, internet. You've betrayed me. You've the broken one, my heart. The other one I was going to do about was about a mariachi band. Oh, I heard about that. It, they're not a mariachi band. Right. They they're, just dressed up as mariachi right. band members and killed three people. Exactly. In, of course, Mexico. Yes. And now, like, the problem is, if you're a mariachi band player, you don't want to go walk around... Right. Looking like you do now that there's like somebody out there that's so messed up. I know. I know. It's like uh, with my story last week where the the Russian troops were dressing up as Red Cross and crossing the border into Ukraine, uh, you know, allegedly. It's like, how fucked up is that? Now, if you're a mariachi band member, you have to think in the back of your head, like, is someone going to think that I'm some kind of like armed guy and then attack me? Yeah. You know, right. just like because they don't want to take the chance or something. Right. Or, yeah, if I make the wrong move, is someone going to, like, think that I'm actually going to pull out a gun? It's, it's very, very strange. Unfortunate. 
Yep. I do like uh, mariachi music, though. It's good. I know. It's good stuff. You grew up with it. I did. I did grow up that with it. That and something else. That's Tejano. just the tea. Yeah, Tejano music. That. I don't like that, though. Tejano you music. your dad likes it. Yeah, he likes it. It's It's got a lot of, like, accordion, because it's, like, that German influence in Mexico. Okay. Um, it's It's, like, polka music, but, like, Hispanic polka music. I guess. Yeah. And I'm like, I, I don't see the appeal of polka music. I'm sorry if you like it. <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> but it's it's not that great. <laughs> sorry. So are we going to end on that note? Um, polka music sucks. So, yeah, let's uh, let's end this podcast on a high note. Oh! No! Why? <laughs> it's, it's like a reference to, like, um, some Mel Brooks movie. What is it? I can't remember. Young Frankenstein or uh, Blazing Saddles, maybe. There's something. There's something there. I every time someone talks about Blazing Saddles, I think they're talking about horses. It's not about horses, right? No, I mean it. it there are horses in it because it's it's set in like the old west, but it is not about horses per se. It's about a yeah, sounds like a horse movie. It, it, it's about a, a you know how that is. That's like a genre, isn't that weird? <laughs> yeah, like uh, Black Beauty or something. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, uh, I don't like horses. I think they're they're smelly, scary, and the, and they're kind of they uh, will ugly. kill you. Yeah, they're weird. I don't. Yeah, I rode a horse once. I was a little kid though. Have you ever ridden a horse? Yes, I don't like it. Yeah, I'd rather ride a bike. I love my bike. Yeah. Okay, now we're just rambling. True. True. Uh, we're ramblers. Um, it, th- thanks for sticking with us, whoever's actually listening at this yes, point. Yeah, thank you so much. For... You must be a very loyal listener. I appreciate it. Thanks for supporting this, whatever this is. Our little project, you know. Our little project! Thanks for <laughs> supporting us <laughs> and everything. Um, Let's call it the Manhattan Project. That's already been taken. Oh. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> we could call it the Alan Parsons Project. Oh, wait, no, that's already also been taken. I don't know that one. Oh, it's a band, you know, oh. prog, prog rock and stuff. What should we talk about next time? Next time on Mystery Murdery Thingy. Oh, that's good. We can throw out some possibilities. Um, yeah, and if you want to suggest episodes, you definitely do that at, um, you know, Mystery Murdery Thingy at gmail.com. Yeah. That is Mystery Murdery Thingy at gmail.com. Uh, please email us. All lowercase letters. Not that that matters. I don't think it matters, no. You should probably alternate, like, uppercase, lowercase, uppercase, lowercase. That would be a dick move. <laughs> right? <laughs> That's, like, some douche 12-year-old's AIM name. <laughs> My first screen name was CKS Softball. Good for you. Good for you, because you did used to play softball. Loved it. Yeah. Okay, I think uh, I think that's probably I think, uh, think uh, we've bullshit enough. I think we. Uh, uh, I think that's uh, I think that's uh, that's uh, okay, podcast. Bye. Yeah, okay, goodbye. Bye. Uh, bye.